Welcome to Brand Talk, another way to talk. We're going to talk about business. We talk about brands that are in the news, your brand. We talk about brands that you use and you love every day. We have a different point of view. There's no yelling. There's no screaming. Just good old conversation. Welcome to Brand Talk, another way to talk with your host, Dr. John Tantillo. And now here is the host of Brand Talk, John Tantillo. Good afternoon, everybody. And, you know, I always say this, but today is a very, very, very special day because not only do I like my guest, I liked and loved his dad. All right. And uh, the important thing as an entertainer is that you don't want fans, you want customers. And I would go and pay money to see his dad perform in the 1980s in the movies. And I'm talking about his father, Richard Pryor. And who do we have today? but Richard Pryor Jr. And before I we put him on, I just would like to read a very quick bio and say that he is a singer, an author, directed and gifted actor, and my friend, and a wonderful person, if I may ask. He has performed in films like my favorite, I would have to say, one of my favorites, if not my favorite movie, The Color Purple, uh, Bustin' Loose, College Debts, Beyond the Basement Door, as well as playing the lead in the sitcom series Lizards. Uh, not only an amazing artist, and I did not know this until today, but also a minister. He has filled his life with love, doing things he is passionate about. Without any further ado, here is Richard Pryor Jr. Richard, welcome to hey. Brand Talk. Oh, I'm so excited, man. <laughs> I'm happy to see people. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Isn't it great? Isn't it yeah, great, it man? I got to tell you. So I'm going to, so you and I met, I'm going to, I'm going to let the, the, the uh, beans out of the bag, I guess, or the, the out of the can. And uh, you were performing with our mutual friend who owned the Gotham Comedy Club. And you were doing, I think it was a song and dance routine or song, and you were doing a little comedy. And uh, somebody said, your name? And I said, is he related to Richard Pryor? And uh, they said, yeah. I said, well, I got to meet this guy. So I went up to you and I was a little nervous because your dad was really, because when I got into your, your dad's comedy, I was a graduate student. I was 29 years old mm -hmm. uh, and he was everything. And he was very, he could make me laugh. He put a smile on my face. Right. And um, I went up to you and I referred to you as the legend. And you corrected me. You said, I'm not the legend. My father was. Mm -hmm. And the goosebumps went up the arm because there aren't many sons and daughters of celebrities that say that. Right. And I just was so taken in by you and then of course it was bernie i mean bernie right. and i are like brothers we're brothers from a different mother you know right. and and so with that said i like you to uh maybe um respond to my, my silliness of fawning all over you and thinking maybe that i was a stalker or something but go ahead but <laughs> I, was, I i was just so impressed by how humbled you are right 
Well, you know, it's it's to me, it's not even a thing of me having to even try to be a humble person or anything like that. It's just who I am. It's the way I was raised. So I never really look at things through the eyes of the average Joe who looks at a thing like Richard Pryor's offspring or his son or his daughter or anything like that. I just look at it as like my dad who worked. And in my eyes, it's like my dad worked in a factory. So I never see the the way the people see it on the outside. I never see that because I don't know him in that aspect. I know him more in the aspect of just being home and being the dad. So when I meet people, it's either a thing of that I'm usually extremely bashful or shy and quiet. Right. I won't actually go up to people and just hold a conversation unless I like force myself to do so. Right. But when people come up to me and they say things like that, I want to, you know, I acknowledge it, but I want them to know that, you know, who my father was. Now, if you want to get to know me down the line, then that's, that's a great thing. But a lot of times you have to get that out of the way first before people actually get to really know who you are as a person. Right. You know, the story I really like, and I, uh, and, and we, this is brand talk and it, it just resonated with me and also gives me why it gives me added evidence of why I adored your father and, um, the sensitivity that this man had that your name wasn't originally Richard Pryor Jr. He, no, changed, no. he changed your name. And I like you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, when I was born, I was, uh, I believe it was two pounds, three ounces. My mother carried me for six months. And when I was born, so I had to stay in the hospital for a long period of time until I reached, I believe, five pounds at that time. So while I was in the hospital, when I was born, I was named Rodney Clay Pryor. And I was actually named after a cousin of mine, my mother's uh, first cousin. So when my mother was discharged, she went home one day, she decided to go up, you know, to visit me as she normally did. And she, you know, went to the nursing station and asked, you know, the progress on her son, you know, Rodney Clay Pryor. And the nurses were like, we don't have a Rodney Clay Pryor. We've got a Richard Pryor Jr. listed here. And that's when she found out that my father actually went up and changed my name. Uh, because he was jealous that I was named after an, an old boyfriend or something. And I realized my mother was very young at the time. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, the, the funny thing about it, years later when he uh, became famous, he said if he ever would have known he would have been famous, he never would have done that. He would have left my name as is. Why is that? Because he knew the luggage and the, <laughs> everything that came along with it and all the things that had to be carried because of just that name. You know, and I look back. Go no, go ahead. I look back on it how I, you know, you know, having to know who your friends are, are people being genuine with you? Do they really care for you, or just are just are they out to look for what they're they can get out of the whole thing? So those are the hard things that I grew up with uh, having the same name. I'm sure I would have had some of that as well because of who my father was, but I think that having that same name and added the extra, yeah, extra kick to it. You had mentioned it, um, and I, I don't mean to correct you, but I, 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 I want to get how this, I, I see your father. He said that he didn't want you to ever think that people liked you for being the son, his son. He wanted it to be a sincere, and I think it was, you said something like, uh, when it came to um, falling in love with you or somebody, did I did I say this the right way? Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. I mean, just, just amazing. Just really, really, really amazing. And, you know, before I came on, uh, one of my uh, uh, favorite movies, I don't want to, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting old and what happens is i i shouldn't say that i know everybody's going to tell me i shouldn't do that but um uh anyway uh stir crazy was one of my it was probably one of my favorite movies yeah. because your father's expression 
when Gene Wilder is going and doing his uh, craziness, oh, where yeah. he, he jumps on, <laughs> he jumps on a, uh, a, a uh, what do they call him? Uh, in, not an inmate, but the guys that, that in fact, um, uh, uh, watch, over, the, watch over the, uh, the the, the correctional officers. The correctional officers. Yes, the correctional officers. He jumps on him, and your father's going, no, no, he's the calm one. Okay? Yeah. He's the calm one, and it shut. And his expressions, he didn't even have to say it. It was brilliant. And, yeah. and I'm, I was laughing, and I remember laughing 30 years ago when I saw it. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Now, did yeah. you ever get to meet uh, Gene Wilder, and how yeah. was he to you? I, I I met him one time. Um, I mean, he was okay. He was kind of quiet, you know. And when you're younger as well, you don't appreciate right. you don't appreciate meeting people like you do as an adult. You know, right. you kind of take it for granted because you knew it was just work, and you know, right. dad's working, and this is who he's working with. Um, so you learn to like take it with a grain of salt. And then later on in life is when you actually appreciate certain people that you've actually met or you sit back and wait, wait a minute, I met that person because you've met so many people you forget who you've met. Um, that's another thing that it, with this business and running into people that are in this business, you forget a lot of times, you know, when people remember who you are, you're kind of like, kind of taken aback, you know, of how people remember certain things and why they remember certain things. And the impact you may have in their lives is just—it's just mind-boggling to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. I, are there were? Do you really have any um, memories of uh, coming in contact with other of your dad's friends that were uh, notable celebrities that you that you you really thought were cool, or were there anybody that you really wanted? to have met that you didn't meet or anything well, like that. Yeah. Yeah. I met um pardon me, I met um Billy D. Williams. Which oh, was, to me, my God. To, me to me in the 70s and me being as young as I was, meeting him, sure. that was the only time I was ever starstruck that I can remember that I'm like was just I couldn't even speak. My dad said this is my friend Bill and he reached out his hand and I all I could do was just look at his hand and then look at him. Because I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, in my head, I'm like, oh my God, this is Billy D. Williams. And I'm really young, you know, uh, young teen at the, at the time, or maybe not even a teen yet. So I was really excited about that. But I think the, the most famous person that I met who I knew of, but I didn't really appreciate meeting him as, uh, uh, as much was George Burns. I George think, that, yeah, I think that was the, that was the top for me, you know, and just being able to, you know, my father just walking up to him and having a conversation with him was just mind blowing to me, you know, with dad, dad, no, oh, that, that's George Burns, that's George, you know. I know what you're, I, I've got, yeah, 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 I, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was funny. I said to Gracie, uh, what did you put the, uh, what did you put the ice cube, what did you put hot water, boiling water uh, in the uh, refrigerator? And she said to me, well, George, the next time I want ice cubes, I'll be able to go in the, in the, in the refrigerator to get it. I blew that line. But anyway, yeah, I just loved, I just loved, uh, I just loved, uh, George Burns. Uh, yeah. yeah he, was great. He, um, he was great. And also like Johnny Carson, been able to meet Johnny Carson. Oh, how was he to you? Because he wasn't big with kids. He was very nice. You know, yeah. I never, there was no issue. I met him actually because my dad was doing a, uh, a show called Midnight Special with Man Jack. And I remember we were taping in the same studio. Wow. You know, on the same lot and everything. And I remember us stopping in there and everything uh, in between taping it that they were doing for the uh, Johnny Carson show. Yeah. And then I was going on to the Wolfman Jack show, the midnight special. Mm -hmm. there, uh, shooting at the same place. So yeah. yeah, just great memories and great moments in my life that I'll yeah. cherish forever. Well, uh, another one of my favorite movies that your dad was not in, but almost was in, I hear, yeah. is Blazing Saddles. Yeah. And uh, Mel Brooks 
wanted your dad, but the studio said, no way, Jose, we yeah. want to get this movie finished. And Cleavon Little did a great job. I mean, right. really, it really probably made his career and was great. But right. there was nobody like your dad. And yeah. I think that movie would have been even greater <laughs> right. if he, because of his expressions. Yeah. He, it was like his eyes, the way his eye, it was, and it was just, I, I, I'm getting goosebumps. I'm, 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 go ahead. Talk a little <laughs> bit about, uh, do you, uh, I mean, you were a kid then. Well, and, I was a kid then. One thing I think though, you know, I look back when people, you know, bring up the uh, Blazing Saddles and my father playing, the, you know, not getting the part and playing it. I look at it though, from a, a perspective of, well, wonder where my father's career would have been now if he had have done it. Would it have gone a different direction right. to where he wouldn't have done all the stand-up comedy? You know yeah. what I mean? Be more yes. focused on this. So I look at it. It was it was a moment that was supposed to happen the way it actually happened. He contributed to the film the way he should have contributed to the film as far as one of yeah. the writers. Right. So I think that that aspect, I think it was a good thing that he didn't get the role. Yeah. Um, I know he wasn't happy about it, but yeah. when you look back on things, you say things happen for a reason. I believe that happened for a reason. Wow. Yeah. Now, I I don't want to step on this. He was a writer on that? I did not know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I yeah, he wrote, the, he wrote the, I think, the dialogue for, what was the big guy's Mongo? Or what was Mongo. Mongo. He, he, yeah. he, wrote the, he wrote the lines for Mongo. Oh, I, my, and and uh, my one of my favorites was uh, was um, uh, the the tall the, the tall fellow uh, Larry. Uh, what was his name? The guy. Gorman? Uh, yes, for uh, Gorman, right? Harvey Gorman. Gorman, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. What he always made me crazy. Yeah, uh, and laughed. Yeah, him and uh, Madeline Kahn. Uh, oh yeah! Oh my God, that incredible! incredible. Yeah, oh, it was just uh, well. I'm a big uh, Mel Mel Brooks fan, and right. my my, my uh, interaction was uh, with Mel Brooks was I was out in the Hamptons. I don't know if I ever met, told this story, but I'm out in the Hamptons and I see Mel Brooks and he's with his posse. And where um, where at I I don't remember the name of the restaurant, but it's it's still there, but the name has changed to protect the innocent. So he's there, and I'm with a priest friend of mine. And um, I say to the waiter, "Could you please buy a round of drinks for Mr. Brooks and his his company?" And he goes over. The waiter goes over to Mel Brooks, and uh, Mel Brooks uh, nods his head, gets up, and says to me, to the whole restaurant, we're Jews, we don't drink in the afternoon, thank you very much, but we're not drinking. But thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I went hysterical. And this is what... Uh, I mean, I get stories like this all the time with celebrities. Maybe it's the way I dress, but they, they, I, I guess I'm the straight man or not so straight man that he did this, but I'll never, I'll never forget it. And it just, it just made my day. It was, it was just perfect. If I see him someday, I have to ask him if he remember, if he remembers that, but anyway, to hurry. Isn't it a funny story? So yeah. I love I love Mel Brooks. Have you? I take it you met him? No, I've never met Mel Brooks. Really, really, never met him. I have a friend who talks to him on a regular basis all the time, and she's trying to connect us together because he had such he liked my dad a lot. So oh, sure, sure. I'm telling you. Well, we're uh, talking to Richard Pryor Jr. and this is Brand Talk another way to talk. And uh, I'm having a ball. I hope our listeners are 
experiencing this as well. Um, uh, Richard has a, a great book, uh, it, and I'm now uh, reading it. It's called In a Prior Life. There we go. And um, you know what I like to do? I guess it's the it's the teacher in me or the professor in me. I I like to read what uh, people dedicate the book to, and another another layer to this uh, wonderful friend of mine, Richard Pryor Jr. And here he goes. I dedicate this book to my mom, Patricia Price, for without you. I would not be here. Mom, you were my rock and my heart. You instilled in me all the beauty life offers. You're going to make me cry for some. I, I've been crying these last two days, but go ahead. Talk a little bit about your mom, if you would. My mother, in my eyes, my mother could do no wrong. To me, my mother was perfect, although she wasn't perfect. Um, None of them. But she kept my mother kept me extremely, extremely grounded. Um, that you know, like the times when I would go to Hollywood and stay at my dad's. You know, you had the cooks and the housekeepers and the drivers, and everyone catered to your every need and all that stuff. But when I got home, my mother was making sure that I stayed grounded. It was like take out the garbage, wash the dishes, do this, do that. So she never allowed me to get in my head where my head could have went easily. Sure. Um, she, she kept me so grounded. I'm, and I'm so thankful for it. Um, the fact that I could, you know, sit with a queen and have a meal or sit with someone who has nothing and have a meal and treat them both exactly the same way. Absolutely. And so she instilled that into me as far as um, just being a good person. You know, I saw the things that she went through, the struggle she had in life and, uh, picking the wrong people in relationships and the abuse and things that she went through. Um, she was an extremely, extremely strong woman. Yes. And, um, I, you know, people, you know, always asking, you know, how's your dad and this about your dad? And yes, my dad is great, but without my mother, I definitely would not be here. Yeah. Uh, there is a incident that you mention in the book and I would not bring it up if it wasn't mentioned and it wasn't public, where your grandmother saw that your mother had a mark on her and your grandmother kind of asked, you know, where did you get that from? Mm -hmm. And uh, your, grand your mother really didn't give your dad up, but mentioned something like, uh, your grandmother said, uh, was that Richie referring right. to your father and your grandmother, yeah, my uh, grandmother just, uh, you know, took, uh, said, uh, get that frying pan <laughs> and really taught her to how to use it. Yeah. And the next time your father did that, Bingo, as my father would say, bingo, and knocked them out. Maybe you can yeah, talk she, about it. Well, yeah. what it was, my mother during that time when they were young and married, and my father, used, he got was sick of looking at potatoes because I guess she would make, you know, fried potatoes, mashed potatoes. You know, she would always do in these potatoes, and he would, he would react by throwing the food and then hitting her. Right. And then my great-grandmother, his grandmother, my great-grandmother Marie, on my dad's side, uh, told my mother, the next time he does anything like this, you see that skillet right there? Take that cast iron skillet and hit him with it, and he'll leave you alone. And so it came around. She did something with potatoes again, and he went off, and he hit her. She picked up the skillet, hit him, knocked him out, and he actually fell across my great-grandmother's feet, and she looked down and just scooted her feet back, you know, like kind of like, that's what you get, and that's what you deserve. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I just want to put this in perspective uh, that men at that time, that was the way they would do it because my grandfather used to beat my grandmother up. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, one of my aunts was a uh, product 
of them making up after my grandmother left. Yeah. So I mean, this is not something that only certain people went through. This was something that a lot, a lot of people went through. And right. I, uh, well, you know, you didn't have rights with that. Just like when, you know, he went up and changed my name in the hospital. Yes. Because he could do that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I, yeah. So that's, I, I, I think is, uh, really, really, really interesting. Yeah. So, really um, uh, yeah. And, um, and, uh, you, you, there's another incident that, uh, that I get a kick out of, and this is something that, uh, today you just could never do. When I was a small boy, my father worked for Rupert's Brewery or AKA Knickerbocker Beer was their brand name. They were the, they were the um, sponsor of the New York Yankees. Mm -hmm. Okay. And my father knew Phil Rizzuto and blah, blah, blah. So we had always Knickerbocker Beer in the house. And at five years old, I was straight now, they only gave me a little bit of beer. And what I would do is uh, you couldn't do this today. You, I would drink beer a little bit. I would maybe, maybe it was two or three ounces. And when I had an upset stomach, I would have blackberry brandy that I still use today to settle my stomach. But you relate in the book that you remember the first time getting drunk. Yeah. It, and it's weird. I remember that because I was so, so young. I think I was actually still on, still drinking out of a bottle. And I remember, <laughs> I love I remember it. at my yeah. uncle's, I think it was my uncle's friend's house. We were somewhere uh, at someone's house. And I remember they were putting liquor, you know, giving me liquor to drink. And I actually remember them riding me through the park. And I remember me throwing up out of the, out of the car because I was so drunk. And staggering around, my grandfather had a had a fit though. Um, right. My mother's father had a fit though about you know him getting me drunk. And uh, yeah, started yeah. young. Yeah, I I, I I to be honest, I wasn't drunk, but they would they would uh, you know feed me the uh, uh, the libation if you know what I mean. Yeah. So now you, I mean, to talk about diversity and and how and this show is about uh brands i mean you studied to be a minister what was yeah. that like um Why you do that well i think it was a it i think in life we go through different periods in our life and different things in our life and trying different things and uh trying to be different trying to be a better person and i think that during that time period when I was uh, in my late 20s, uh, prior to me getting married, I was going through a lot of struggling things. I was, you know, didn't know who I was as a person. You know, I'm trying to fit in. Uh, anger issues, all these things are coming at you. The outlet I had was it was, uh, you know, I love gospel music. Wow. So I uh, went to a concert in my hometown of Peoria, Illinois, went to the concert. Enjoyed it. Talked to this lady outside of it. Her name was Darlene. And we talked and she invited me to her church and I went and never left. Wow. And uh, it was just the thing that was needed that time in my life uh, for me, I think, to gather some direction and a, 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 like to know how to go from point A to point B and to get toxic, toxic things out of my life. And uh, so right. me getting going in the church and then I ended up, you know, after like a year or two, I, you know, started going to ministers meetings and, you know, had all my books and learning how to, you know, to do and how to preach and, you know, the, going through tests and all those things in order to be licensed and, and became licensed, um, you know, got married and all those things happened because of me taking that one step. That's why I don't believe I believe that anything that you do, there's a reaction out of it. Something's going to happen out of it. And if I hadn't have done that, I don't, I wouldn't be where I am right now. As far as talking about this, I wouldn't have a book right now being able to talk about it. I wouldn't have my son and gone through the thing of marriage and have my grandchildren now, if I hadn't have done what I've done. 
during oh. that time. Yeah. Yeah. So what role do you think God plays in our lives? Well, for me, because I can only speak for me an awful lot. Um, you know, I, I, I look at, you know, people that go through struggles and things that don't have any type of relationship period like that with anything that they think is a higher power, but themselves, um, I hear people that when they're going through pain and sorrow and things, they call out to them, you know? Sure. So my thing is, you know, I'm not going to infringe what I believe on to someone. I'm going to believe what I believe and being yeah. able to respect that and for them to actually respect that either. And I mean, respect what they go through and what they don't believe. Yeah. But if you ever, ever are not sure of something, I would rather be wise on the thing of thinking it's real and thinking it is versus not thinking and then being wrong. Yeah. One of the things that really gets my goat is when people judge other people, especially when it comes to religion, you know, and it just bothers me. And I had a, I had a situation uh, and I, I, I had to unfriend them because, um, and um, I, I have this thing uh, for Joel Osteen, and Joel Osteen can be criticized for maybe being a little too uh, capitalistic and maybe mm -hmm. using uh, some of that. Right. And, and they, were, they were criticizing Joel Osteen after I put up how much he did for me for you and what happened and he calms me down okay and uh, i met him and he was everything that you wanted him to be right and i had mentioned this to a friend who was helped by joel osteen and these geniuses were were attacking joel osteen for not mm -hmm. doing this or not doing that and I thought that that was very selfish on their part. Yes. And because keep your, you know, censor. Don't, you know, and I'm a psychologist by training. And I, what I've learned, it's better to say nothing than the wrong thing. And I thought that that was a wrong thing. That person, by the way, was a priest. I couldn't, I, that, I could not believe that this was coming from a priest that i had to teach a priest but you gotta yeah. understand i was a franciscan monk yeah. for five years so i know a little little bit about the business so well, I, keep, I, know I, keep, I, I keep my mouth off of uh ministers bishops all that stuff because absolutely there's a, there's there's a cause and reaction to everything that we do you know when we yeah. point a finger at someone else you know things are going to come back at us as well so yeah. sometimes it's best, as you said, you're on the side of caution. Don't say nothing versus saying something and you uh, reaping the benefits or not the benefits or reaping what you sow. Right. You're reaping yeah. that. So uh, keep your mouth shut sometimes and just sit back and don't say anything. Well, you know, the doctors have it right. Do no wrong or, you know, or, uh, you know, do no harm. Do no harm. Do no harm. So it's just edit yourself. And I and I get a lot of that on my Facebook, where I what I always try to do is I always try to be a gentleman. And somebody just said to me, it's a pleasure to have a discussion with you. So I mean that that always is good. So yeah. let me ask you, you know, you 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 know, as I said, this is brand talk, by the way heard every Thursday, another uh, way to talk at three o'clock every Thursday. And today we're talking to Richard Pryor Jr. What is your brand, sir? Are you a singer? Are you a dancer? Are you an Indian chief? What is it that you do? I'm, well, now, you know, now, I'm now an author is added to that. Oh my but God. I make, I, I, I and when people ask me to put, you know, because I sing, I sing and I act, uh, and now I'm an author, 
So they say, well, what are you and everything? I'm a, I'm an all around entertainer. I consider myself an entertainer. I love it. Um, yeah. Because I, I can't, people ask me like, well, do you love singing better? Or do you love acting better? I can never put one above the other because they're all a part of me as far as who I am. So I never want to put and say singing's more important to me because when I'm doing the singing, that is the most important thing. Right. As far as what I'm doing, I'm able to uh, interpret a song the way um, I want to if I'm doing a cover or something. But when you're acting, you're also able to interpret that character the way you see that character um, going in life and the way the character's moving, the way that character walks and talks. So when you're doing that, that's the most important thing that you're doing. Right. Both those things are like, uh, it's like a hand. Um, all those are needed in order for my body to function right way for me to pick up food and eat and do all those things. Those are all the most important things to me as far as my life. So my brand, I would have to say, if people say you can't, you can only choose one word, it would be entertainer. Entertainer, that's good. And I, I don't know if our our listeners uh, realize this, but the way it, it used to be, and, and you, please correct me if I'm wrong, the way to make the most money was through music. Yeah. Those are the, those are the richest um, uh, uh, entertainers that you, you can in fact be. Um, you know, um, and all of this, uh, for, for yours truly here, uh, I mean, all of this creative stuff has only come within the, the last, uh, 10 years because my, uh, my burden in life was, I was chubby all my life. So I only became somewhat normal weight in my fifties. Okay. Wow. So, uh, so I always was uh, I always felt insecure. So I was never thin. I was never the Adonis. Uh, you know, I didn't have a lot of girlfriends. Uh, everything was, uh, was very um, tentative. I didn't, you know, um, and, and add to that, my parents, uh, you know, my mother was the kind of person that really wasn't uh, going to give you the reinforcement that you need. <laughs> You're right. Uh, all right. You know, she was going to say, oh, don't, who are you, Mr. Big Shot? You know, who are you? You know, <laughs> and I remember as five years old, I wanted to take piano lessons. Well, she wouldn't have it. Wow. Because I, 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 could you believe it? Five years old. My wow. sister says, well, she, she calms me down every time I, I go into this. And I, my, my listeners know about my piano lessons. And the book I want to write, my autobiography would be, my mother said no to piano lessons, <laughs> which would really tell you what the, the torture that I went through. Now, mind you that I was a chubby because what, what they did in my Italian-American uh, household was anytime I was frustrated, manchani, gianozzo, yeah, yeah, eat, eat. And that's what I did. Yeah. I would eat. Okay. And, and masculinity was how many pounds of macaroni you could eat. And my grandfather used to say, Mary, that was his, that was my grandmother's name. Mary, how many pounds did you put in there? <laughs> you know, and if it was any less than two pounds, then it was not a good day at the Tita uh, household. Wow. So, uh, and uh, they too, uh, his thing wasn't potatoes. His thing were meatballs. He was going to throw meatballs at my grandmother. <laughs> You know, for, uh, you know, he was getting sick of meatballs. So, um, and he, so, what made you come up with writing a book? I mean, you know, I, I, I had, I had a little bit. Um, I was a little, a little reticent about bringing up some of these things in your life, and here you are mentioning them in a book. What mm -hmm. made you decide? I, I know Bernie helped you. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, mm -hmm. but well, what it was um, years ago, I think it was the early or late 1990s, I had attempted to start writing and then I stopped. 
and then I didn't do it at all. Then I went through, you know, lost my mother in 2003 and my father in 2005. When I moved to New York in 2006, between 2006 and 2007, I said, let me start this again. And I started again. And I was like, oh, I just can't do this. I just, you know, it's too much work about it. I don't want to deal with it. want to do it. Yeah. Um, a year later, I tried to work with somebody through the Friars Club, uh, a member who was a writer, tried to work with him. And the stuff that he would write, he was, now you've read, been reading the book, so you know I don't hold anything back, but he was trying to expound on certain things and make things up grander than what they were. Got it. Um, and really making my dad look really horrible um, just to sell books. And so I said, no, I'm not going to do that. So I think it was like two years after that, I said, I really want to write this book. And when I first started wanting to write the book, it was about what it's like being a child of a celebrity. Yes. So once I started, I, I, I got together, I um, met with uh, my manager, Bernie, and Bernie First Fan. Uh, he knew Ron Brar, knew him. So we kind of talked and we clicked a little bit and I was comfortable talking to him. So what I did, I made a, I was going to do a one man show and what I did, I made a, a map not really a map, I did points of different things I went through in my life. And I think it was like one to 132, I think I ended up with. So what I did, I would go to number seven and just record and start talking about what that was. So when it started, it was one thing, by the time I was finishing the book, it was like, man, I've been through some stuff because I went through when I would write the book, I get physically and emotionally ill. Sure. Going through the process and I, things that I forgot about would come back. And then you had that raw emotion that you had stuffed down aside. So I'd go through that and there were times I couldn't do anything. And Bernie would call me and say, get up. You got to get up. We got to get this done. You're on a deadline. You got to do this. So they constantly pushed me. <clears throat> but what I noticed that as I went through the certain points, I noticed my idea of the book was changing. It was more about what if somebody else is going through some things that I've went through? I love it. What, what if they don't have anybody in their life to say that you can survive this and you can, you know, flourish after all the struggles you've gone through in your life. That's when it like changed and the book became something bigger than mm -hmm. what I imagined it would be. It was about helping somebody about showing people my darkness and then how I was able to come out of that darkness my way. You may have your own way, but, you don't have to stay in the darkness. You don't have to look and, and worry about there's no light in front of you. There's light. You know there's going to be light there. You just got to keep going and trust the process that you go through in order to get there. Yeah. That's why I love you so much. And I'm not just blowing smoke up your nose. I mean, you just are such a wonderful, wonderful man by taking that and wanting to help people. Uh, you know, your mom and your dad did a, I think a great job. If I could be, mm -hmm. I hope that doesn't sound like I'm being patronizing. I, it's when with me, it's really sincere, you know, and I just, um, I just think the world of, uh, of what you've been able to accomplish and your journey, you know, your journey, your, your journey. So what, what do you, what is it about your dad that you think, the public has gotten wrong about him and maybe I'll, uh, you know, I, I'll share, but I want you to maybe I don't, I won't have to even bring it up because you'll, you'll deal with it by your um, let, letting us know. But what, what, what is, what do you think he's been misunderstood about? Well, I think one thing is that people think my father is the caricature that they saw on stage. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, you know, I watched, you know, when they're like talking about doing a film of his and this actor's going to portray him, this actor's going to portray him, you know, and then you see them doing like a clip or something. They're doing the caricature of Richard Pryor on stage. Right. They're doing the character of Richard Pryor in a film. But right. they really have no idea who Richard Pryor really is other than that voice. You know, yeah. the voice getting, you know, the high pitched voice when he goes right. through certain things and modulation of his voice when he does certain things and his mannerisms. But who is the person? Right. Who right. is the person who you have to know the person in order to portray it. And I think that's the misconception that people have about my dad. They think he's that person that they see on stage. And he's totally, totally wasn't. Right. You know, my father was an introvert quiet 
you know, kind of a little on the bashful side, the same way I am, unless you're on stage performing that you come out of that. Right. Right. Um, but I think a lot of people have a misconception about that and think that's the way he was, you know, sure. He was different when he was partying. Right. When he started partying all the time, he was still by himself and still an introvert because he was isolated and he was alone when he was doing those things. So even the things that you do things for to get you to cope with things and to go through life and to do so those certain things, those same exact things will put you right back in the same place of where you were unless you deal with it. There's no way running from it and getting away from it. You can try all you want, but you're going to eventually interrupt right back there and have to deal with what you're going through in your life. And I think that's the misconception people had. They think my dad was who they saw on stage and it wasn't who he was as a yeah. person. Well, I think that's with a lot of entertainers. There's yeah, the persona and then there is the, uh, uh, the real person. I mean, mm. Johnny Carson was a very, very shy guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the things is that you, what you really wouldn't want to do is to back him into a corner or, uh, you know, come up to him and startle him because you might not get, because he was a very shy guy and you didn't know what you were in fact going to get. Another, another story I have is that Johnny Carson, uh, who I, I had, so many dreams because I would go, uh, uh, I went to the show a number of times. I would go to sleep watching the tonight show and graduate. Mm -hmm. I love Johnny Carson and I had many dreams about him and, um, he was, um, on long Island in his yacht. And what I was going to do is I was going to get a bottle of Don Perignon champagne and I was going to give it to him. And a girlfriend of mine, her name is Alice Fennell, said, don't do that. He was, he was dying at the time. Mm. Don't do that. He was on Long Island and I didn't do it. And I'm, I, 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 I don't know whether or not I should have done it or it should have done it or whatever. Mm. But you're you're bringing up what you may what you hit with me is your dad's shyness and mm -hmm. how that would have in fact worked. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I and I thank you for that for making me realize that. Yeah. Um, what was when was the last time you saw your dad and what was the conversation? What was your last conversation with your dad? My last conversation was. January of 2005, he passed the, the following December in 2005. Um, it was a very emotional meeting with him because my sister, one of my sisters, Elizabeth, gave me her visit for the month to be able to see my dad. I hadn't seen my dad in six years because his wife had uh, refused to allow me in his life. I'm sorry and, to hear that. I and she was, she would do a lot of that with once if she was mad at us, there was a, an amendment to the will. Then we weren't in the will. There was this would happen. We couldn't see him, and all of these things happened. So, um, I had my friend Ryan drive me from Des Moines, Iowa, where I was living, and we drove out there. I said, "I've got to see my dad. I'm just going to the house to see him. I'm just going to go see him. I need to see him." So I tried to. They wouldn't let me in, and all that, and they. Uh, Lawyer sent a letter where, you know, you can't, you don't have a visit set up. And my sister, Elizabeth, said, well, let me give him my monthly visit. And then they still said no. She says, why? It makes me think that there's something personal there now. If I already have a visit scheduled and you're not allowing me to give it to my brother, it sounds like it's personal. So then they reluctantly allowed me to go see him, my dad. So my visit with my dad was very difficult. It was, I was so happy to see him, you know, being able to hug and kiss him and all that. But I also, in that time period, you know, had to tell him that my mother had died two years prior. Oh, wow. So, and him and my mother were always close because when she was dying, she was like, you know, call your dad. I just want to talk to him one more time. Because they talk all the time when throughout life. They were never not friends after, you know, they separated and divorced and all that. <clears throat> but they would never allow it. 
So being able to, having to tell my father that my mother had died was extremely difficult. Oh, um, but the seeing him not no longer the person that he was, um, you know, not being able to speak and not being able to write, um, you know, the kidneys were starting to, his kidneys were affecting his body size. He was getting larger. Um, all those things that were very difficult and took away time where it could have been a time of just reflecting and just talking and holding his hand. Yes. That was there, but it was also the thing of my God, look at my dad, you know, and those are things that were extremely difficult to have to go through. And when I walked out the door, I knew it'd be the last time that I would see him alive. Wow. I knew it. Wow. And that was in yeah. January and he passed that December. Wow. Wow. And what would you say, uh, by the way, thank you for sharing that with me and us. You're just, uh, boy, I feel so close to you now. It just, it's, uh, I, I hope I, I can keep it together. Um, what do you, what, if you were to summarize, what was the best piece of advice he gave you? What would you say it was? Other than making you the wonderful person that you are. Go ahead. I used to say another thing that is quite funny, but I, I'm going to hold my tongue. Um, uh -huh. I think it was, is, is a, it was a thing of, it was more of an observation, although he has said it before. I watched him work and I watched him on sets of films and I watched him backstage before he went on, on stage and to perform in front of thousands and the respect he treated everybody with, whether it was the guy that opened the door up to come into the stage, sound stage, wow. or it was the painter, or it was uh, the lead actresses playing opposite of him, or the director, or uh, the gaffer, whoever it was, he treated everybody with respect. You know, and I'm not sure, I'm, I'm sure he had his moments, you know, during his drug use times, and. You know, he had moments where he wasn't the easiest person to be around. But for the most part, when he came to the set and he worked and everything, I saw him respecting everybody and speaking to everybody. It was never a thing where you couldn't go up to him and talk to him or anything like that. You know, laughing there and you hearing jokes and him laughing with the crew um, on certain subjects and topics that they brought up and everything. And just seeing that, I think those are the things that I walked away with, knowing that just because you're in a position of, of wealth because of whatever, whether or not you inherited it, or if it was a thing where you, uh, you know, did the right things in order to get to where you're at as far as your career and acting and performing, you don't have to belittle anybody. You don't have to treat anybody less than you. Right. Um, everybody's the same, and I got that from him, and I totally understood it. And it's communicated because, like I said, you're just a really um, an outstanding person, and I'm very proud to call you a friend. You I hope I, I hope you see me that way as well, but I certainly see you that way. And we gotta we we do have to get uh, to the dinners. And there was a time that he, you know, um, he brought you on the road with him. Right. Yeah. And, uh, on, the, on the summers and vacations and stuff, I used to go to California uh, from Illinois and spend those times with him. A lot of times he was on on the road touring. So, right. you know, I had my own hotel room and I got to order what I wanted to on room service. And then I would go to when he's performing at night. Uh, most of the times I went with him and I would, you know, sit backstage and, or, and watch him from the side, you know, performing. And then one day he actually asked me. Would you like to introduce me on stage? And I'm oh, like, what? God, that's you know? great. And I, he, he told me what to say, and the lights came up, and I walked out to the center stage and the microphone, and I was like, ladies and gentlemen, my father, Richard Pryor. And the crowd just went crazy. And oh, it's, absolutely. It, I think that's when I understood that my father was a star. Yeah. I realized it was something different. It wasn't just dad that looked at these, all these people were there and listening to him talk. So who listens to somebody just talk? You know what I mean? 
And that's what I think that's what it clicked to me. Oh, my God, my dad is my dad's a, a star. He's not just he's like the Billy D. Williams that I met and was acting all bashful, that he's the same thing as yeah. him. Right. And I understood it during that time. Yeah. But to have that memory um, because of the things that uh, myself and my siblings went through with with his with his uh, wife, um, I think to have the certain things in our life and things that we've gone through that she can never take away from us. Right. We can take away monetary things and uh, tangible things and all that, but things that we have in our heart and our and our spirit and our soul with our father, she can never tap into and touch, take away. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I really feel for you about this, but um, um, I, I just want you to, I, I, and this doesn't take away the pain, mm -hmm. uh, but there are a lot of uh, celebrity children that have gone through uh, what you've gone through mm -hmm. in terms of the, uh, you know, the new wives mm -hmm. and all of that. And um, um it's it's just a, a sham. I'm not going to mention names, but I mean, I just I hear about that, and everybody kind of like you're Richard Pryor's son. That must have been so much fun, and all the people. But there's another side of it. Yeah, you know, there's a very sensitive side, and I I, I see that. Uh, what? And I'm sorry if I uh, and I know I shouldn't apologize, but I should apologize because I didn't want to make you feel uncomfortable as much as what I wanted to do is get people to buy your wonderful book. Okay. Oh, no. All right. I'm an open book, so it's good. Yeah. There you are. There you are. And you are, you were a little cutie pie. You must yeah. have, uh, oh, everybody must have wanted to pinch your cheek. And they you did. Want... I remember those times. They did. <laughs> I remember. This picture, the picture on the cover of the book actually, um, Billy D. Williams' son sent that picture to me. Uh, his name is Corey. And Corey sent it to me, and I asked him, I said, can I use this picture? He said, absolutely. His, I believe his dad took this picture. Billy D. Williams took this oh, picture. Oh, wow. We were, oh, at Billy, we were at Billy D. Williams' house. That is terrific. Yeah. That is terrific. Are you friends with Billy uh, D. Williams' kid? Yeah, yeah, Corey, yeah. Corey. He's, uh, he, he's, the, he's the one that you know we would ride in the back of the car. You know, and the girls would be screaming and stuff. You know, the teenage girls in Hollywood <laughs> because we were doing a magazine or something, our picture or stuff, and they knew who we were. It was just a lot of it was fun times. Oh, jeez, this is this is terrific. Now, where where can we get this book? Where um, the book? Get, yeah, um, where can we get the book? We uh, want the book. The book, book, book I know you can purchase the book on Amazon. You can also purchase the book on the website. Uh, if you go to interpriorlife.com, there's links set up there where you could actually order the book, or you can order directly through the the publisher, which is bearmannermedia.com, B-E-A-R. Okay. Um, but yeah, you can definitely order a book. And I, I, what I've been doing, people have been um, contacting me, and I've been taking their payments, and I've been ordering books and signing them and sending to them. So if there are people that want to sign a copy, just you know, let me know. Oh, I love. And where can we where can we get you? Where, you can get me into, anywhere under Richard Pryor Jr. I'm all the social media platforms, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Facebook, uh, the Rich Pryor fan page, or my personal page, Rich Pryor Jr. Oh, oh my Lord. Well, I, I like I said, this is, this is terrific. Is there anything else you want to promote that I might be missing? You're directing something or you're the no, story? What I'm doing, I'm actually working right now to uh, make my book a one-man show called in a, in a Prior Life, where I'll portray most of the characters in the book. So I'm actually working on that. I'm also working with a writer named Liz Fuller, who wrote a book, uh, who her husband wrote a book called The Interrupted Journey about um, Barney and Betty Hill were the first, they were interracial couple, but they were one of the first documented uh, couple or people that were documented uh, talking about an alien, being abducted by aliens. So there's a play about it now. So we're trying to get that one kicked up and going. So I, right. I, that's when I'm waiting for everything to open up. So we'll be going at it. I'm going to actually star of that one as well. Okay, well, this this is good. Uh, well, uh, we only have an, about thirty seconds, and all I want to do is tell you what a real, real honor and pleasure it was to have you on today. And uh, thank you very much, Richard Pryor Jr. And I'm looking forward to dinner real soon. We'll go to yeah. we'll go to Pansy's. Okay, we'll go to thank. Pansy's.
Okay. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate oh, it. It was really great. It was really great. So this is Dr. John Tantillo, JT, saying so long for Brand Talk. See you next Thursday. Bye-bye.